nostalgia, memories, growing up in Central Florida in the 1990s. What a bunch of sappy crap. It's the Sappy Crap Podcast. Starring Steve Bauman and Jarman Day. Welcome to the Sappy Crap Podcast, where the names are changed, but the stories are real. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. That's right. The stories are real. We're like dusty VHSs accidentally returned in the wrong box. I don't know. We could just be thinking the wrong thing. <laughs> Very blockbuster of you to bring that up. That's right. And we're here to tell stories that only two longtime best friends can. And what are we talking about this time, Steve? Well, we did a episode on sort of the TV shows that shaped us. And so I said, why don't we do the same thing for movies? Yeah, why not? So we're going to talk about sort of the important movies in our lives, the ones that formed us, shaped us, changed our opinions of the world. It made us giggle so hard we almost peed. <laughs> That's always good. So you want a movie. So, German, opening question for you. Uh-huh. What's the first movie that you remember crying at? First movie crying at? Oh, my god. because gosh. of might be the better phrase. Damn. That's hard to say. Um, I know. Whatever it might have been, maybe open the floodgates because now I'm a crier, man. Any any movie has any kind of sappy moment. I'm just I, I enjoy crying and I just like tear up and, and <laughs> cry it up. Do That's you remember? Do you remember what the first one was for you? It might have been old yeller for me, maybe <laughs> for for me. It was almost certainly uh, like a dead poet society. Oh, that's a good one. Which I saw for the first time, probably nine to 11, probably a little too young realistically to see Dead Poets Society. Um, But just, I really connected with it as sort of a creative kid. And it was all about just adolescent coming of age and finding yourself, you know, being rejected by a parent, the death of somebody close. Like it hit all these sort of strings of these things that at the age I couldn't really fathom. And so because of that, it just hit me in a way that no other movie had at that point. It was probably hitting a lot of new emotions you haven't thought about or situations you hadn't thought about yet. <laughs> exactly. Because I wasn't even in high school yet to experience these things. Yeah. And I mean, I think the biggest movies that then started to affect me, though, would be just on either fortunately, unfortunately, were the blockbusters, the big things that had a lot of anticipation and that you wanted to go see. And then that's what stuck in my mind the most. And that's the movies I eventually bought and watched a billion times. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the big ones that were part of my elementary to middle school to high school would be like the Men in Black, Independence Day, Jurassic Park. Um, Absolutely. Those were just, I end up getting those VHS cassettes and just watching them repeatedly until they were, you know, turning into dust in the, in the player, as you said. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, um, yeah. So, so speaking of movies that you watched over and over again, what, what's one movie that you can honestly say that you watched 20 or more times? Oh, plenty. Um, one of the earlier ones I can think of is Ninja Turtles 2. Secret, Secret of the, of the Ooze. Yeah. Koka and Razar. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Go on. So, I mean, I was, I watched that so many times and I, even the, the whole vanilla ice is in there. It's wonderful. Go ninja, we have to go have ninja, go. Pre-fight donuts. <laughs> pre-fight donuts. You get the big one. Which one's the big one? <laughs> you take the ugly one. Okay. No, I'll take the ugly one. Which one's the ugly <laughs> That's one? That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, my favorite scene that made me laugh so much as a kid is is like uh, they're all trying to find Raphael because he got kidnapped. And so <laughs> yeah. they're all going into the base and like where the, the foot are and they're like, trying to find him like it's a little too quiet. It's, it's quiet. And he's like, yeah, it's a little too quiet. He's like, yeah, it's dark. It's a little too dark. 
And we need to find Raf. Yeah, it's a little too Raf. Yeah, <laughs> like, a little too Raf. I got the words wrong, but it was something along those lines. It was, it was oh, man, that was easy. Yeah, a little too easy. Oh, yeah. Man, it's quiet. Yeah, a little too quiet. Hey, it's Raf. Yeah, a little too Raf. <laughs> That's right. How do you remember those lines so perfectly? <laughs> because this uh, is the tr- the crap I have trapped in my head. <laughs> yeah, this is the crap that just stays there. Oh, and for that movie, something that stayed in my mind forever because it happens to me this day is a bunch of people eating and I say, you want a napkin? Cause like they're being gross and getting food everywhere. And that happens in the, in April O'Neill's apartment. They're all eating pizza. And she's like, you guys want napkins? And then they go, what for? <laughs> what for? <laughs> because you're gross and you have grease getting everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, that sounds was right. Formative movie. What about you? What's the over 20 um, times? I think I've talked about it on the podcast for a bit. Sorry, Mary Nax murder. Oh yes. You for, exposed my me to brother that. brought it on VHS. And there was a, seriously a, a like three to four month span where we watched it every single day when I got home from school. Oh, man, that's like a lot. every single day. And at the time, it was legitimately the funniest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> and it's also a little above your age, uh, probably targeted. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. The whole well, I remember having to ask my brother, like, what's a beat poet? And like him having to explain these things to me because I didn't get any of the references. <laughs> and that the whole song, Harriet. Sweet Harriet. Sweet Harriet. Hard-hearted harbinger of haggis. <laughs> Beautiful, bemused, bellicose butcher. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. And I'm of course, you have his first foray is my head. doing a, a Scottish accent in that movie. That's um, <laughs> right. With his like grandfather. Get the paper if you can. <laughs> Moving that gargantuan cranium about. It's like Sputnik over there. Spherical, yet quite pointy in parts. <laughs> And I found out later on in life that's because his father is Scottish or was his grandfather. I think it was his father. So yeah, he's, he's basically doing an impression. Of his own <laughs> his own father. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, other ones that I definitely watched too much, Gremlins and Gremlins 2, mm-hmm. which are just very finely made movies. Joe Dante is one of the, the underappreciated masters of horror. And like horror comedy, because it's like it's good for a lot of ages, too. It's not too scary, but it's also funny. Oh, yeah. If you look at the original script, which uh, was actually Chris Columbus, one of his early writing efforts. Mm. Uh, but the issue is, is that they changed so much of it through that he brought his parents to set one day. And it was a scene that they had, like, completely changed. And he was so upset. Oh, no. <laughs> but he had brought his parents to set to see his thing that he wrote. And it wasn't his and thing. And axed and wouldn't stop improvising. <laughs> <laughs> was that the character actor, the older guy? Uh, that was the, the father, uh, uh, Randall Pelter, Billy's gotcha. father, yeah. um, who was also a songwriter for three dog night. Oh yeah. That's like a Muppet Trek reference right there. Kind of thing. That's right. <laughs> um, and then one that I remember making my dad rent over and over again were the Ewok movies. Oh, love the Ewok movies. They're terrible bowls of crap, but God, I'll eat them over and over. I have them both on DVD now over my DVD collection. That's right. And they Caravan survived of courage and the battle of Endor. They survived my pruning. Right. When we moved in here, I got rid of a lot of DVDs. I'm like, why do I have all these DVDs? But I kept the ones that were like my, my favorites or like our sci-fi and fun. And that survived the pruning. It's still in my house. <laughs> and I think <laughs> I mentioned on a previous episode that I used to take when I was a, I was a paper boy as a job. And I used that money towards the Columbia house video club, which is a thing that I existed that. for music since like records were a thing. And they get you to join by saying you can order 10 movies for a, a one cent a piece. And then after that, you have to pay like, you know, a monthly subscription price to get movies sent to you. And I 
would scan the system by using a different name every time I joined. So I could just join over and over again and not pay for any movies full price. Um, and that's how I got like men in black independence day, Jurassic park, those particular cassettes. I remember because I would go on family trips and my stepdad had bought this little TV with a uh, VCR in the bottom and we'd jam it between the two front seats and he'd plug it into the cigarette lighter. And then my sister and I could watch movies in the back seat while we were driving, you know, to wherever we were going on family trips. Nice. And I would just stick in Men in Black, Independence Day, Jurassic Park over and over and over again. And then for a while there, my, my dad, my biological dad, had a limo company, which he had one limo. and He would rent it out to things. And it had a VCR in the back. And he'd pick me up from school sometimes in the limo, which was very embarrassing, actually. You don't actually want that as a kid because then people think you're like, oh, you're a little rich kid or something, which I wasn't. He just happened to own a limo for a company. Um, but I'd sit in the back of the car and watch Independence Day, Men in Black, or Jurassic Park over and over again. So it was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, video cassettes. They were great. Uh, other sort of formative movies and the ones that I discovered a little bit later, uh, but the Christopher Guest films. Oh, yeah. They're all kind of classics, uh, but my favorites are easily Best in Show and Mighty Wind. Yes, we got the chance to see Mighty Wind in the theater last month, actually, the Enzion here in Winter wow, Park. Wow, killer. And the audience, half of them had not seen it before, and they were laughing hysterically. It still holds up. It's, and it's so wholesome and lovely. Ugh, Mighty Wind's But, but little surprising moments throughout. Yeah. Like the witches that are in there just random, like those sort of things that catch you <laughs> off guard. He's like, well, we don't do, we don't sit around casting spells and wearing pointy hats. Well, well, yeah, we do wear pointy hats, but that's besides the point. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, and I will say, my first like official favorite movie that I had, I was like, this, I think this is my favorite movie, was uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That, I mean, if you're gonna pick one of them, that's the one. And people argue that the first one's the best, but I think that one. Those people just, are wrong. <laughs> it just holds out so well, so much so that someone gave me a gift. I don't remember who at this point, of like just a a nice bound copy of the script with a nice cover on it. So I has, I still have that. It's like the full script uh, screenplay of the movie. Um, and I have posters, and I had Indiana Jones costumes, and I just love that character so much. And I just got a trivia question right about that because. He's based off a character called something Chamberlain. And now I'm forgetting the first name, um, from huh. the, like the pulp comics of the 1920s and stuff. And that's how he created the costume look. And um, it's just, yeah, I love Indiana Jones. And the, it made me think of like many people to being an archaeologist for a while. But I was like, no, I don't want to do all that studying. So I didn't yeah, do it. It was like a lot of reading. <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> uh, other big ones, the Goonies. Oh. Who doesn't love Goonies? I've never seen it all the way through. What is wrong with you? <laughs> <I know. laughs> you dummy. I know I need to. I've seen parts of it, you know, like the, the chunk dance and then the, the weird guy, the hey, you guys. Well, and you might not appreciate him as much now, but I remember as a kid, this story about like kids that could be me and my jackass friends. Yeah. Going on an adventure to save this town, which is so appealing just from a thematic point of view. That's true. That's true. And I think around that same time, I found my four favorite horror movies, which were the Halloween series, um, which I probably put you through too much. I apologize. But I end up watching all of those, all the Halloween movies. I remember renting some of them from the library, too. Um, and they get progressively wow. worse. But uh, but the first two were just, you know, amazing. Um, and I dressed up, obviously, as Michael Myers for many, many Halloween. Yes, you did. Yep. Uh, I'll do a quick mention because we already talk about it enough, but the Muppet movies, 
of the ones I watched over and over and over again. Um, Pretty Muppet Caper, Muppet Takes Manhattan. All of them are are brilliant. Uh, But Dark Crystal and Labyrinth are, are some of Jim's more sincere, darker sort of things. Yeah. And while I love them both, I always loved Labyrinth more. But now that I'm getting older, I'm finding that Dark Crystal is taking its place. That's fair. Yeah. It's it's more of a, a bigger world that I think it creates. It's more and, and much more, we'll say higher fantasy. Yeah. Good and evil and dark forces and secrets and that kind of stuff. And I hadn't seen Dark Crystal till I was much older, but I watched Labyrinth as a kid and it was it freaked me out. But I remember having a crush on Jennifer Connelly for sure. Was, oh, yeah. That was a for thing. Sure. For sure. <laughs> and it makes me sad that you were able to access something that became a lifelong kind of um, fandom for you. Hence, we have our show Muppet Trek you guys can listen to where we talk about Mm -hmm. our two favorite fandoms. But I didn't discover Star Trek until I was in college. So I wish I had Star Trek when I was a kid and could have experienced it as a kid and seeing it through those eyes. But I only saw like one or two episodes waiting for those fresh episodes and that sort of excitement. Yeah, but also like, yeah, even watching the original series stuff or the movies when I was a kid would have been great, but just never had experience. And what's funny is that my mom was never a huge Trekkie or anything, but she appreciated it. And she got to see Gene Roddenberry speak when she was in college, when he was doing his college speaking tour. And she went with her sisters. They all went to UCF here in Orlando and he went to speak there and they all got to see Gene Roddenberry. And she's like, Oh, that's kind of neat where I'm like, Oh my God, you got to see him speak in person. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) So it's pretty cool. And I will say 1999, Steve and I would have been around 13 ish, 12, 13. That sounds right. And that's a huge year for movies. I have to say, and Matrix was one of those things that kind of changed the landscape. And um, I remember doing school projects where video projects where I dressed up like Neo and stuff like that. And we did like <laughs> we did like a whole Matrix movie for like a science class. But that wasn't with you, actually, surprisingly. That was with some of our other Yeah, friends. I don't think that was me. Um, but it was a big deal. And I, I think I remember seeing it and being amazed by this the technology. It, it made a huge jump. And oh, yeah, I'm looking at the the list of movies, and among the 1999 films are, uh, let's see, Star Wars: Phantom Menace, Mystery Men, hmm. Galaxy Quest. Oh, love Galaxy Quest. Uh, Varsity Blues, Blair Witch Project, Virus with Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, The Green Mile, hmm. Iron Giant. So many big ones. Some big ones, yeah. Absolutely. And we got to say about uh, Blair Witch because that was out of our hometown at the time too. Because God. It was I made that movie. It was made by UCF film students. And that was. And so I remember that being a big deal that we were like, oh, cool. UCF's getting on the map in the film department. That made it worse. You couldn't escape it because it was local. It was That's just true. everywhere. And I think that because it was local, we were kind of the first people to realize that, no, this isn't a real documentary, <laughs> you know, because like we know that true. the school it came from, it's not a real thing. <laughs> um, but I was never like huge into the Matrix, but it was just a big deal at the time for sure. Um. Uh, Another movie that I, I love now and sort of is, is one of the early markers of me being in, into high fantasy uh, is Willow. Oh, yes, absolutely. Willow. Val Kilmer, Warwick Davis, um, directed by one of Ron Howard's early directing credits, uh, is just spectacular. Just spectacular and high fantasy done at its absolute best. And I'm happy to say that my girlfriend, Jolie, has not seen Willow yet. So my her best friend and I are very excited to have her watch it for the first time. We're going to sit down and do like a viewing. And um, I'm excited to see her react. It's so cute and cool. And high, you say that high fantasy, it's just got a lot of world building. And they're making a TV series of it soon. Officially. That's right. Willow Offgood, he's no sorcerer. He's a clown. <laughs> a very particular accents in that movie. 
Um, well, when you're trying to recruit that many little people actors, you're going to get a grab bag of people. Right. Just you, only, you have a small pool of people to choose from that can actually act and you know, are little right, people. Right. They can do, yeah, they can pr- actually perform and are little people. <laughs> They're going to be from all just over like the world. Just like big people. There are some people who are just terrible actors. They just are. <laughs> That's right. But I think for me too is that I did end up going to film school and I don't remember exactly what it was, but watching certain movies, uh, or exactly which movies it was, but I started becoming very interested in, in the, the actual craft of it. And especially the idea, I think in another life, I would love to have focused on being simply a cinematographer or director of photography, which I got to do for this recent uh, short film I shot for. It was like a Shakespeare's Silence of the Lambs, which will be coming out sometime. This is coming next year. Hmm. And but I, I, one of the movies I saw, Mulholland Drive, very early, which was a David Lynch film. And it's not his best film by any means. Now I know that. But back then, it was the first David Lynch film I had seen. And he makes he made Twin Peaks. He makes uh, he made the first Dune movie. Uh, but Dune is not actually a very good example of his filmmaking style because it's just more it was more blockbustery kind of thing. But he just does very weird stuff with the camera. The movie doesn't make a lot of sense. You're confused. You feel like you're in a dream. You know what's happening. I didn't like the movie very much, but it made me interested in like filmmaking techniques and how you can tell things weird stories beyond just the standard blockbuster. And, and once I went to college, I was going to do broadcast journalism first, but that would seem really terrible. So I became a film major, met a lot of cool people and I met a lot of kindred spirits who really liked the cinema and, and the feel of, of escapism and that kind of thing. And I'll never forget going to one of my first like film classes and they had to sit in a circle and everybody has to say what kind of movies they want to make someday. And people were always like, I want to make abstract art. I want to do something that really makes a statement, <laughs> really explains my soul and puts it out on film on the celluloid, you know, and all this crap, their hairs in their face, you know, like swoopy bangs. And then it gets to me and I'm like, I really want to make money. <laughs> so I didn't really fit in very well there. I want to be rich and powerful to the point where I can buy my way out of most problems. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm obviously in the wrong major for that. But they kind of chuckled and I explained. I'm like, well, no, I really like all that goes into big budget movies like it's it's a huge crew it's a giant undertaking it's an art form different than an artur's film or something and you can make beautiful stuff if you really put your mind to you can mix art and commercialism together and make it really cool and i think that's started me off in the path too which i i think you did made fun of me for this too but my friends you know jest with me about it that i like almost every movie i see for some reason because i realize Somebody took a lot of time out of their life to make this movie. I, I always termed you a film optimist. Yes, exactly. And we have podcasts about that going back with our play on Nerd show where I'm always like saying the good things about a movie. And Steven's like, that's bullshit. <laughs> it, it is. That's because most of the time it is. You're absolutely right. Probably. But uh, <laughs> I just don't see it that way. And then so I was looking and as I was looking at my list, I was like, all oh, these are kind of older movies or movies from my adolescence. I was like, there's got to be something more recent I like. And while not really recent now, um, the one that came to the top of the list uh, was Moon with Sam Rockwell. Love Moon. It's just, which is oh. one of the the most perfect marriages of sci-fi and drama that's ever been done. Oh yeah, and it's just, just ever. And Sam Rockwell, I think, could do no wrong at this point. <laughs> well, I remember just being real mad because like, he deserved an Oscar nom for that movie. Because he's doing he quite did. a lot of legwork for that. And not only did he do the legwork, he acted the living crap out of it. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and was really this true, you know, the, the man he was facing off against the man he became 
but in a very real and tangible sense that you don't get in a lot of movies. And it's so um, over the top. It could have been portrayed over the top, but he does it very grounded. Like you said, it feels real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, if yeah, you're saying recent it. movies, um, same kind of thing for me. Some ones that stand out that are uh, whiplash, I think is a okay. movie that you said you hadn't seen the end or you had, did see it. I've seen bits and pieces. Gotcha. And it just, I think it, because it's also just so incredibly acted and real and in your face, but it also reminded me of our high school experience. So that was very kind of touching. And one big movie that changed me forever when I saw it back in the day was uh, the Truman show, which I was already really into Jim Carrey and his impressions. And he did a movie about um, Andy Kaufman called um, oh, something about the moon. I can't remember. A man on the moon. A man on the moon. Thank you. And so then when Truman show came out and it's really showing his serious side of his acting, but it was still funny and heartwarming. And then I cried like hell on certain parts of it. I just think that was a masterful movie, but you know, it gets looked over sometimes. And we talk about it on one of our most watched episodes of the play on nerds called reality Kings. Reality Kings. Cause people (laughs) are searching for porn, reality Kings porn and find our podcast about the Truman show and Ed TV instead. Yeah. Cause we did a dual movie episode, copycat cinema. And I, I knew I'd heard that term before, but I didn't know from where like, Oh, reality Kings are both real reality shows. And it gets so many views and and clicks because of that name. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Right. Uh, so uh, one sort of wrap up question. Yes. I do have to mention a couple of things before we're done, but go no, ahead. You mention it then. Cause then we'll, we'll oh, end on that. Perfect. Because this is something I just saw on this list that I was <laughs> looking at that I get made fun of for a lot, which is two movies, the postman and Waterworld. <laughs> I mean, I get the draw. They're both big post-apocalyptic, big worlds, big implications, not only big worlds, but fully realized worlds. Yeah. The reality was physically built, which doesn't happen anymore for films. Yeah. Huge sets and thousands of extras and all that kind of thing. So it's, but at the same time they did crash and burn for a reason. The story specifically for Waterworld gets real dicey and weak. Um, That's why I like postman better. I think it's, it's definitely a better film out of the two. Um, but I get it. I absolutely get why. And it's Kevin Costner and his biggest ego and all that chance, but they're just, I think That's they're true. good watches. Oh, and I have to be, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention also from a young age, a little older though. Um, I can't really say it as much anymore, but my favorite movie for a long time was the usual suspects. Um, okay. And Kevin Spacey is masterful in that movie. Like he was in many movies, but he's also a terrible human being. So we can't really loud that movie anymore, but it was just, for the longest time, I thought it was just so well written. Um, but also the director was also a scumbag of that. So pretty much I can't even talk about that movie anymore. <laughs> Sticker was out Fair. at the window. But anyway, sorry. Final question. What do you got for us? Final question. What is one movie that you think is just incredibly overrated? Mm. Everyone else loves it, but you know, it is a bowl of crap. Do you have one to go first while I think about it? I do. That's the benefit of making up the question. <laughs> that is the benefit. Uh, for me, uh, Star Wars Rogue One. Okay. Is awful. It is so overrated. It gets so much hype as being the best thing to ever come out of Star Wars. And it is poorly written. The character arcs are weak. The relationship building, which is supposed to be what the whole movie is about, is about the relationships between these people that pull them through is weak. 
the story echoes don't make any sense. It's supposed to be about the love between a father and daughter who we literally see on screen together for no more than 40 seconds. <laughs> no more than 40 seconds. And then her connection to this secondary father figure who we also see on screen together for no more than 40 seconds before she's supposed to meet him again and convince him to save everyone. And we're supposed to care. Um, and we're supposed to care. Exactly. And I just don't. It's one of those things where everyone tells me how great it is. And I go, did we see the same film? <laughs> yeah, I get it. That um, makes sense. And it's one of those movies where like, I'm not a film writer. I didn't go to school, but I can just tell you all the things wrong with it and how they could have fixed it pretty easy. And I think it also would have pretty helped easy is if they did that movie over like two movies. Um, cause like you right. said, give you more time to breathe, get to know the characters and then shock us at the end of the second movie, bam, with the way it ends, you know? Um, but yeah, it's one of those ones where everyone, everyone talks about it's the best thing to come out of star Wars, blah, blah, blah. And I just, I think they're full of crap. Uh, the only thing I could think of is a more general way of putting it is a lot of people I know, especially a lot of not to be offensive of the boomer generation. Um, at least in my family, uh, is they put way too much importance on things being realistic. And I, I know a lot of people in my family who um, only put value. And so I mean, we can say the same thing about the Academy, you know, giving awards out. It's only got value if it's real drama based in real reality. And otherwise, it's just fluff entertainment where it's like they're completely ignoring. I think that's overrated. The fact that it has to be in reality. Whereas like based on true events, yeah. inspired by true events. If someone's not yeah. dying of cancer or overcoming adversity in the real world, then it's not Oscar worthy, which is ridiculous. And like you look at Joseph Campbell, like the hero's journey of, of like, you know, Star Wars and all these other things of these, these heroic characters are overcoming great odds. And um, just because it's in space or, you know, in a fantasy world, it can't be something that's Oscar worthy. And I think that we it's kind of backwards. I think it takes much more work. For someone like Jim Henson to create a dark crystal world than it does to think about someone's grandma getting cancer and dying, you know? So, I mean, right. <laughs> yeah, we- I agree with the idea that, that sci-fi and action films are relegated to technical Oscars. Yeah. And it's like, they're telling, we're willing to admit that all stories. these pieces of this movie were great, but, but now we can't not the human condition represented in this movie. That's not important because it's around space. <laughs> you know, I think that it is, and this is something I'll hold to this day. Uh, is that the third uh, Return of the King, third Lord of the Rings film, won Best Picture and Best Director, mm. uh, but didn't have a single actor nominated for any category. Just crazy. How did Sean Astin not win a Best Support or even get nominated for a Best Supporting Actor nom that year? When he brings you to tears every time he says, I can carry you, Mr. Frodo. Like, oh my he God. is the human <laughs> portion of, the, of that film. Oh. He is the emotional anchor of that film. And the fact that he didn't even get a nom is like, what? But the movie one, I'm like, how? How? That doesn't make any sense. And it seems they arbitrarily just decide who gets best director with the best film. Like, it doesn't seem like these are actual filmmakers slash film aficionados who are voting on this. There's actors um, who don't really know what goes into what. I don't know. It's not fair. It's that's why I think is overrated. Is and they've done polls over the years where like the voters have admitted to only having seen forty percent of the films. Like there's, yeah, it's, it's extremely arbitrary. <laughs> if, you're, if you're already rich and wealthy and famous person and you can't just take some time to watch these movies, then that is why I only put merit in the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards, <laughs> where you get to vote. 
That's I'm right. I'm pointing at a camera that doesn't exist, but you <laughs> and you and the MTV Music Awards. Those are the ones movie That's awards right. where they best kiss and stuff like that. You know, yeah, <laughs> those are important. <laughs> best fight scene. Yeah. Well, does that about do it for movies? I think that wraps it up. All right. So that wraps up this episode of the Sappy Crap Podcast. There's many more movies, I'm sure, that we could have mentioned. But, you know, we keep these things relatively short. And I'm sure over the years we'll mention more that have uh, affected us as we go down the line. That's right. Thanks for joining us. Join us again next time. And we're going to talk about a subject deep and dark that we don't even know what it is yet. That's how dark it is. <laughs> oh, wow. It's in the darkness. I can't even see it. Uh, so, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Nowhere to be seen. So thanks for joining us for this delightful stumble down memory lane. And don't forget the good old days weren't always that good. This podcast was brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 